they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, the 15th day of September. We are in the middle of the month of September, and today is a very great feast day in the church. Yesterday was the feast of the exaltation of the Holy Cross, a feast which celebrates two things, the finding of the Holy Cross by St. Helena. Um, She searched for the true cross. She went to Jerusalem, and she went outside, and she had excavators dig, and they found the true cross, and they, they found three crosses buried out there, and they discovered which one was the true one, miraculously. By, by a person being healed. And then the, the cross was um, taken into exile by, um, oh, Monsignor gave us the history yesterday. I think it was the, um, there was the, some, the Persians, I think, had attacked. And they, they, they knew that the cross was the powerful, so the king had taken them, the cross. And then later on, a Christian king went and warred against him, and, and they, they said, you have to return it. You have to return the cross. So they did. And so it celebrates both those things, the, the, the finding of the true cross and then the return of the true cross to Jerusalem after it had been taken. Um, anyway, so we, but we honor the cross because Christ died on the cross, and that's the sign of our salvation, isn't it? Jesus Christ did not come to eradicate human suffering. He came to fill it with his presence. Um, it's something we often forget as Christians. Somehow we have this idea that, you know, the health and wealth gospel many of us have bought into, even if we don't say it, in our living and in the way we respond to suffering, we're often buying into the health and wealth gospel. Well, I'm serving you, Lord. How come my life isn't going the way I want? How come things aren't always good for me? How come I'm financially suffering? How come I'm struggling? How come I'm having all these trials in life? So we want to talk about those things today that yesterday's feast and today's feast, and in particular, this sign of contradiction, this sign of contradiction, by the way, which is over my shoulder, um, and um, where in the scriptures did it talk about that, and what do we know, and what is this feast that follows the exaltation of the Holy Cross was yesterday, today is the feast of Our Lady of Sorrows, our Blessed Mother suffered with Christ. It is noon on Friday. We will pray the Angelus in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done to me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Most Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son 
was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection. Through the same Christ, our Lord, amen. We ask for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Come, O Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of the faithful and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit, and they shall be created. And thou shalt renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that in the same spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Thou, O Lord, will open my lips, and my mouth shall proclaim thy praise. Incline unto my aid, O God. O Lord, make haste to help me. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. We ask the angels to join us here and to give us light. Sanctus, 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 Dominus Deus Sabaoth. Pleni sunt celia terra, gloria tua, Hosanna in excelsis. Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Sorry, my mind is... <laughs> Good morning, everyone. I guess it's noon already. <laughs> Yeah. Um, thank you for joining us. Um, all of you must have gotten the, uh, or many of you must have got the email from Terry about the problems we had. Our bank did a merger with another bank and now um, they're having problems with our accounts. I hope Terry straightened it all out this morning, but please pray to the holy angels. Um, there was a very holy priest here in Los Angeles, Father Aloysius Eucuria, who during his own lifetime was known to have um, had at least 400 miracles worked in answer to his prayers. And um, he was a Claritian. He's buried at San Gabriel Mission. Anyway, Father Aloysius Salyukiri used to say, the angels are in charge of all the lost money in the world. And I was thinking to myself, where did he get that idea? Well, you know, I think he might have got it from Scripture. In the book of Tobit, um, Tobit had loaned out some money to a relative. And when Tobit came upon hard times after he was blinded, he sent his son Tobiah to recover the money that had, you know, he had loaned out. And um, the angel Raphael is sent to help Tobiah, Tobias, Tobias, the son, and, and, and Tobit. So he's sent, for, for several reasons, to, uh, Raphael is sent to heal Tobit of his blindness, so he's for healing. He's sent to free Sarah, who is to be the wife of Tobias, that was God's intention, to free her from this evil demon, Tasmodeus, um, who was killing her husband. She had had seven husbands and the, the demon had killed all seven of them. So um, God it sends Raphael to deliver her from that. And he sent to recover the money. <laughs> so, I, the, you know, the, the angels, the angels are there to help us. They're, they're messengers, they're ministering spirits. They minister to us. They never rebelled against God. They never sin. And you know what? They never complain to God about our behavior. They never tell God how badly we're behaving. <laughs> so, Let's try and learn from the angels. Read the book of Tobit. It's great. It's beautiful. It's such a, it's fantastic. And again, Terry was telling you that I'm going to teach you about the inerrancy in scripture. And when I come to scripture, when I read scripture, I read it, try to read it with the mind of the church. And the mind of the church is what? That there are no errors in scripture, no historic errors, no scientific errors. Now, there may be error in the original text. There may be errors in the copies. There may be errors in the translation. But in the original text, there are no errors. Because why? Because the Holy Spirit is the primary author of Scripture, and he used human authors, but he 
And they acted as true authors, but in such wise that they committed to writing what God wanted them to write, what God intended and nothing more. God cannot deceive and he cannot be deceived. So the scripture and the church teaches us this is inerrant. Just as the word of God, the second person of the Blessed Trinity became incarnate, we have the incarnational analogy regarding scripture. That is because just because the word of God became incarnate and took to himself human flesh. He took to himself a human nature, but a nature that wasn't tainted by sin, a human nature as God intended it from the beginning without sin. So too, the words of God, the spoken word, the, his, his love letter to us, his telling us what his plan is for us, what was his intention from the beginning, he committed to writing using human authors but in such wise that there are no errors. And, and that's what's in scripture is what God intended and nothing else. So scripture is sacred and it is God's holy word. And it's not for us to try and conform scripture to what we want. It's for us to conform our lives to what God is teaching us in scripture. So we want to look at the sign of contradiction. I want to look at it in terms of the seven sorrows of our lady and so we're going to begin today with Luke 2, 34 through 35. And what is in Luke 2, 34 through 35? Well, I hope you all have your scriptures out. And I'm faster than you are because I already opened them. <laughs> so um, Luke 2, 34 and 35. It says 34 and 35. That's what it says. Okay, so we have what happens. This is in the, the, the context of the presentation of Jesus in the temple when he was 40 days old. All right, Mary and Joseph bring him up to present him to the Lord because the firstborn male was to be get dedicated to the Lord. And Simeon makes this prophecy. He said, behold, this child is set for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. And a sign that is spoken against and a sword will pierce through your soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So Simeon tells Mary and Joseph that this child, this child that they're holding in their arms, this little baby, is set for a sign of contradiction. Now, <clears throat> this is uh, in, the, in the Catholic Church, we have this devotion to the seven sorrows of Our Lady. By the way, I grew up at St. Emedius in Linwood. And at St. Emedius in Linwood, they had the stations of the cross. They also had the seven stations of the seven sorrows of Our Lady. And I used to make them on a regular basis. I used to as a young person, walk the seven sorrows of Our Lady, thinking, and it's not, I'm not worshiping Mary. I'm honoring Mary. I'm walking with her as she walked with her son. Here is Mary. She knows who this child is. God had told her, right? The angel had come. You shall conceive a bear a son. The, the spirit of the Lord will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Hence the holy offspring to be born of you will be called the son of God. Because the Holy Spirit will it's by the Holy Spirit that you will conceive this child. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God reveals himself as a trinity of person. He's not a solitude unto himself. He's a community of love and life. And so Mary is told already in the infancy of this child, he will be a sign of contradiction. Can you imagine the pain of a mother's heart <laughs> to look at her little newborn baby, 40 days old, and be told he's going to be a sign of contradiction? Don't go away. We'll be back with more. I want to thank all of our benefactors and all of those who pray for us. And we're going to look at the seven sorrows of Our Lady and 
how we are to respond. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio on September the 15th, 2023. Terry's not in studio with me, um, but um, he's with me in spirit, and my guardian angel's here, and I join. I ask all the angels to join us, and and I ask the Holy Spirit to inspire us all. May we hear the words that God is speaking to us. You know, Scripture is not about what I want to make it of it. And, and God is not who I want to make him. I remember once I was having a discussion on an airplane with a woman about, well, you know, who is God? And so what difference does it make or whatever? And, and um, I was, I don't know, I was in college at the time. Maybe, I don't know if I was between 22 and 26 years old. I was, and I, I said, um, at the end of the conversation, this thought came to me. I said, well, you know, if God is who he is, then he exists independently of us. And what I think about him doesn't make him who he is, and it doesn't change him at all. But um, if he revealed himself, it would behoove me to come to know him through his revelation as he is. And so this is, you know, what Terry mentioned about the inerrancy of Scripture. We don't want to change the Scripture to suit ourselves. We want to change ourselves to conform to God. By the grace of God, we can do this with God's grace. This is what our Lord came to do. This is what he helps us do. So we have this sign of contradiction, Simeon's prophecy about Jesus. This child is destined for the downfall and the rising of many in Israel, right? So Simeon makes this oracle. He's the downfall and the rising of many in Israel. Christ is the Messiah. He will draw the line in the sand, right? He's the line in the sand. Are you for me or are you against me? I am the Messiah. You choose me or you reject me. You have, you know, it's, it's not, I can't just straddle the fence. It's, remember in the Old Testament, how long will you people straddle the fence? Are you going to serve God or not? God doesn't want lukewarmness. Make your choice. I'm going to serve you or I'm going to reject you. Remember what he says in the book of Revelation. Would that you were either hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I have already begun to spit you out of my mouth. Lukewarm, that's sitting on the fence. You know, I, I'm not going to make a decision. I'll wait and see who's winning the battle. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't have this Manichaean um, view of the universe. And there is no Manichaean universe, by the way, where there's a good side of God and a bad side of God, a light side of the force and a dark side of the force. And when they're at, they're at war with each other and when the light side is winning, oh, everything is good and beautiful. And when the dark side is winning, everything is evil and ugly. No, it doesn't work that way. Satan is not a God. Satan is a creature. And he's ugly, and he rejected God, and so he fights against God, and he fights against everything that is godly. But he's only a creature, and he's already lost. He's already lost. He's in hell for all eternity. He can never be redeemed. He rejected redemption, and now this is the sign of contradiction. Christ has come. The Messiah has come, and the line in the sand is drawn, right? This is it. So the nation will be divided. And why is the nation going to divide it? Because God wants to divide it and he wants to send some people to hell and some people to heaven? No, God wants us all in heaven. The nation will be divided because you're either going to choose Christ or you're going to reject him. And for those who choose him, well then, yeah, you have, um, you have in 1 Peter, we have what? Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, 
and he who believes in him will not be put to shame. To you, therefore, who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the very stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that will make men stumble, and a rock that will make them fall. For they will stumble because they disobeyed the word and as they were destined to do. Now, that doesn't mean that God destined them. It means that we have a free choice, and we can either choose God or not. But we make the choice. It's not God who condemns us from the beginning. It's we who condemn ourselves by not choosing with God. In, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it says in 587, if the law and the Jerusalem temple could be occasions of opposition to Jesus by Israel's religious authorities, his role in the redemption of sin, the divine work par excellence, Jesus' role in the redemption from sin, was the true stumbling block for them. Because the leaders of the people wouldn't accept him, he became a stumbling block for them. If they had accepted him, he wouldn't have been a stumbling block. He was, you know, he's the cornerstone on which the church is built. He's the cornerstone. So we have this, this sign, and, and this is the first sorrow of Our Lady, by the way, this prophecy of Simon. Here she is. The baby's only 40 days old, and already she's told this child is destined to be the downfall and the rise of many in Israel and a sign that will be contradicted, okay? So though, when we reject our Lord, we condemn ourselves. That's, that's, we're the ones. And then we have, you know, Simeon goes on to say that a sword will pierce your soul so that, many, that the secret thoughts of many will be laid bare. And that's prophecy of Calvary. At Calvary, and where Jesus, the ultimate rejection of Jesus by sinners, that no, we're just going to put him to death. He's done. We're, we're done with him. And how his mother must have felt. And she stayed with him. She was with him there on Calvary. So, you know, her, her vocation as a mother, and it's, you know, a mother's heart. What is a mother's heart? <laughs> you know, when you see your children suffer, you would suffer in their place if, it, if you could and if it would help them. The cross is the unique sacrifice of Christ, the one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ, the one mediator. But because in his incarnate divine person, he has in some way united himself to every man, the possibility of being made partners in a way known to God in the Paschal mystery is offered to all men. We have the opportunity to unite our sufferings in union with Christ. He calls his disciples to take up their cross and follow him. For Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example so that we should follow his steps. In fact, Jesus desires to associate with his redeeming sacrifice those who were to be his first beneficiaries. This is achieved supremely in the case of his mother. Supremely in the case of his mother, who was associated more intimately than any other person in the mystery of his redemptive suffering. And they, they tell you to look at Luke 2.35. The sword of sorrow shall pierce your soul, so that the secret thoughts of many hearts may be laid bare. So we had this first sorrow of Our Lady, and I encourage all of you to look up the seven sorrows of Our Lady. And along with the stations of the cross, think about her sorrows. And her sorrows didn't just start when Christ became an adult. As an infant, she's already suffering in union with him. He is persecuted. 
Simeon says he will be persecuted. And then what happens after that? Oh, gosh. Well, we have Matthew 2, 13 through 21. And what happened in Matthew 2, 13 through 21? Well, does anybody remember what happened right after? Um, We have now when they, the Magi, had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and remain there till I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. What? (laughs) A baby. He's just a little baby. And the angel comes and says, you got to get up right now, Joseph, in the middle of the night. And of course, night, darkness, right? Sin. Sin is at work here. Herod is going to try and destroy the Messiah. Herod, he's a man. He wants to destroy the Messiah. This is how hardened we can become in our sins. This is how prideful we can become. We're going to stop the work of God. We can't do it. God is good and he loves us. And yeah, you know, Herod, God have mercy on him. But so they escape into Egypt. They're going to have to go to Egypt. What was this like for Mary? In the middle of the night, Joseph wakes her and says, Mary, we have to go. We have to go to Egypt. Herod seeks for the life of the child. And so she grabs her little baby. Just maybe, maybe this is just after the Magi left. And the Magi probably stayed with Mary and Joseph for, you know, several weeks. They were kings and they came to worship a king. And Herod was busy about many things. So, by the way, it's not like they show it in the movies where they, he sends his spies to follow the Magi, and so he knows. And No, the Magi told him he was going, they were going to Bethlehem. They're, he knows he's look, they're looking for the Messiah. No big deal. He doesn't send any spies out. God hides his work from his enemies. He doesn't let the enemy have more power, and, and um, he doesn't let him have the upper hand as much as it looks like he might. Like the enemy might have, he doesn't have the upper hand. Each one of us has to choose whether we're going to follow Christ, whether we're going to embrace the sign of contradiction as the sign of our salvation, or we're going to reject it. Say, no, I won't suffer. Or like Satan, no, I won't serve. And that's what Satan said. But if we're willing to suffer in union with Jesus, you know what? We're all going to suffer in life in union with Jesus loving to help redeem the world. So here Mary and Joseph are, baby in arms. At night, they fly to Egypt. And it's interesting, if you read the commentaries, if you go to the Catena Aria, the fathers of the church talk about how it's not that they're going to escape from, from death so much as they are going, this was planned by God because the Egyptians had been in darkness. Remember, the Israelites were there. They were supposed to bring the light of God to Egypt. Then instead, Egypt brought the, the darkness of their false worship to the Israelites. So God had to go take his people back out of Israel, out of Egypt. And so now... Um, hundreds of years later, now the Messiah is going to come to Egypt to bring the light of God back, light of Christ, the light, the light of the world. So he comes back. He's coming to Egypt as the light to bring light to this, to this land and to destroy the, the, um, the gods of Egypt, to, to exercise judgment on them. And that's what, you know, God has exercised judgment on the false gods of this world. They've been condemned. And so if we're worshiping false gods, we're going to become like the God we worship and we're, we're not going to make it to heaven. We want to be with the true God. We want to follow Christ. So Mary and Joseph fly into Egypt. And that's the second sorrow of Our Lady. And it's, that's in Matthew 2, 13 through 21. And um, it, it's also, there's a, there's a prophecy in Isaiah, Isaiah 19, 1, about the light coming to Egypt. 
You can read that, Isaiah 19, verse 1. So then we have, back to Luke, we have the loss of Jesus in the temple. Now, the third sorrow of Our Lady. This is in Luke 2, 41 through 50. And what happens? Mary, Jesus is 12 years old. Mary and Joseph go up to the temple every year for the Passover. And when he's 12, they go as their custom. But Jesus stays behind. And so the parents are looking for him. They continue the journey for a day, searching for him among their relatives and friends, and they can't find him. So then after a day's journey, they return to Jerusalem looking for him. And on the third day, they come on him in the temple. And the great sorrow of losing him. There was a a priest, Father Raymond. He was a, a Jesuit turned Trappist. He wrote a book called God, A Woman in the Way. It's about the seven sorrows of Our Lady. And he talks about this, this Mary was going to be the mother of all. She's the, the, you know, Eve was the mother of all, of all men. Mary is the mother of all the, of all the redeemed, of all mankind through Christ. And so at the foot of the cross, Jesus gives her to us as our mother. And so she never sinned, we're told. But how is she going to know what it means like to be a sinner if she's never sinned? How can she relate to sinners? I want to talk about that on the other side of this break. I'm having way too much fun because that time is just going way too fast. Please keep us in prayer. Thank you for your prayers and sacrifices and your support. Um, remember to pray for the angels to help us resolve this thank you. Don't go away. We'll be back. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, September the 15th, the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows. And I just want to remind you, every Friday is dedicated to remembering that Christ died on the cross for our sins. And... When the Holy Father, Paul VI, alleviated, um, or how would you say it, alleviated the, the um, universal requirement in the Catholic Church to abstain from meat on Friday, every Friday of the year, he never removed the serious obligation to do penance on Friday. You see, there are countries in the world where people are starving to death, and many people in the church who don't have enough to eat And so for them to be told that they couldn't have meat on Friday, well, you know, it wasn't really a big sacrifice because they didn't have meat anyway. And so it's like, no, do something appropriate. But but read the document. Go back and puino temini. I'm not sure if that's exactly how you say it, but Paul VI document on the abstinence, the Friday abstinence. And he says in there, we have a serious obligation to do penance on Friday because Friday is the day on which Jesus died on the cross. And we remember that. We are to never forget. That's why, you know, sometimes Protestants ask, well, why do you still have Jesus on the cross? He's not on the cross in heaven. You're right, he's not. But we're a forgetful people. And in heaven, the victim who immolated himself, although he is no longer dying, still offers himself eternally as an immolation. The lamb who was slain, slain still bears his scars. So we have him on the cross so we don't forget. And every Christian... Paul VI says in Puerto Temini, every Christian has a serious obligation to do penance on Friday. And in countries where food is abundant, in countries where food is abundant, that penance should be connected to food. Oh, oh, yes, it should be connected to food. 
Now, the church has said you can do other things. You know, you can go to an extra mass. You can go to um, say an extra rosary, make a holy hour with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, meditate on the Passion of Christ for an hour. But we have a serious obligation to do penance on Friday. Serious obligation. Serious. That means if we don't and we know it and we do it deliberately, we deliberately choose not to, that's a serious sin. So let's be careful about being vigilant to do our serious penance on Friday. Serious penance. And so we have, we're talking about the seven sorrows of Our Lady in terms of uh, the sign of contradiction. What is the sign? Christ is the sign of contradiction because he comes to save us and yet we sinners want to reject him. And he ends up on the cross. (laughs) The cross, which by the way, the cross Cursed be anyone who's hung on a tree, right? And yet the cross was prefigured in the Old Testament as being the sign of salvation. Remember Moses in the desert, the seraph serpent? And we just had that reading during, during the week, this week. I, maybe it was yesterday on the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross is what it was. Um, Moses in the desert, the people are bit by seraph serpents because they complain against God and, his Mo- and Moses. And then um, the people are dying and they're like, oh boy, we blew it again. We, you know, so have mercy on us, Lord, have mercy. So God tells Moses, make a bronze serpent and mount it on a pole. And anyone who looks at the bronze serpent will be healed. Oh my gosh, don't make graven images. This is, God told Moses to make a bronze serpent and mount it on a pole. It wasn't a brave, it wasn't to be worshiped. It was a sign. It was a sign that the Savior would die on a cross. And that when we looked at him, we would be saved from the death of sin. So we look at him and look long and hard at the cross. Do, because it does save us from sin. So we're talking about the seven sorrows of Our Lady. And we got to the, the loss of Jesus in the temple. And um, I was telling you that how could Mary be the mother of sinners when she never knew any sin? Well, Father Raymond, in his book, God, A Woman in the Way, in which he talks about the seven sorrows of Our Lady, talks about this incident where Mary and Joseph lose Jesus. Here's the Blessed Virgin Mary. She was created like Eve, because she's the new Eve, in the state of grace, the Immaculate Conception. And so she has no sin and has never sinned against God, but she's to be the mother of all sinners. So when Jesus is 12 years old and they go up to the temple, he stays behind without telling her. Now here she is living constantly in the presence of God, And knowing that her son is God and worshiping him as God, but still he's her son. And all of a sudden, he's taken away from her. You see, this is what happens in mortal sin. In mortal sin, we sinners throw the image of God. We destroy the image of God in our soul. We cast the grace of God out of our soul by sin. We're living, in, we're living in grace if we have sanctifying grace. Lord, if I'm not in the state of grace, put me in the state of grace. If I'm in the state of grace, keep me in the state of grace. And we live in that grace because God has given us grace. But if we commit a grave sin, a serious moral evil, knowingly, knowing that it's serious moral evil, freely choosing it, and that the act is actually a, a serious moral evil, if we do that, then we cast God's grace out of our soul. And so the soul loses God. And this is what it was like for Mary. Father Raymond says, 
through this mystery of Jesus staying in the temple, Mary learns what it means for a soul who has committed a mortal sin, what it's like for them. They've been in friendship with God and now suddenly they've lost him. Now she didn't lose grace because she didn't commit a sin, but she has this understanding now because of her suffering, the suffering she goes through in searching for the child. And I think one of the fathers of the church, there was a quote, you know, to search for God and to find him are not really two separate things. You see, to find God is never to be satisfied with the searching, I believe is how the quote goes. So we should be continually searching for God because the more we know of God, the more we want to know and the, and the, the more we realize we don't know anything. <laughs> you know, the more I know, the more I know that I don't know anything. <laughs> so God is God. He's infinite. I can never exhaust who he is and, and the meaning of who he is. And so Mary shows us, she shows us how. Search for him. Even if you've sinned, don't despair. Just turn back to him and say, I am sorry. Lord, have mercy. Lord, I'm sinking. Lord, I've sunk. Lord, save me. Cry out to the Lord. So we talked about the prophecy of Simeon, the flight into Egypt, the loss of Jesus in the temple. The last four sorrows of our blessed Virgin Mary are all connected directly to the cross, to that sign of contradiction. The carrying of the cross of Jesus, his crucifixion, his death on the cross, and his being laid in the tomb. Those are the last four sorrows of the Blessed Mother. When Jesus carries his cross, his mother is there. Now she's in the crowd. She can't be right beside him. The soldiers are pushing him on. But she's suffering with. She is suffering with, and she suffers with him in a way that probably none of us could. Mary's there. So if you look at John nineteen seventeen. We have Jesus carrying his cross. And it's not just in John 17, 19, but that's the, um, no, I'm sorry. I did that backwards. It's John 19, verse 17. I was going to say, wait a minute, John 17. That's the high priestly prayer of Jesus. That's not. So, so it's John 19, John chapter 19, verse 17. So they took Jesus and, went, and he went out bearing his cross to the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. Okay, now that's also in Matthew 14, 61 through 64. No, it's not. I'm sorry. Again, I'm reading the wrong thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, good morning. It's not morning anymore, but somehow I got to wake up here. Um, Matthew 19, 17 through 24 is paralleled in Matthew. No, John 17. John 19. John 19. We're in the chapter. Chapter 19 of John, verses 17 through 24. Matthew 27, 33 through 44. Mark 15, 22 through 32. And Luke 23, 33 through 43. So it's not like John's the only gospel that has the carrying of the cross. Okay, it's there in all four gospels and, and the crucifixion. So it goes on. So he, they, And Mary's there. But then there they crucified him with the two others, one on either side and Jesus in between. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the title and they complained to Pilate, right? So then in verse um, 18 through 30, 
you have the crucifixion. It goes on to describe it. But in there, it talks about what? Who's at the foot of the cross? Verse 25 and following. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clophus, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother with the disciple whom he loved standing near, he said, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. Woman, the woman of Genesis. Again, there's, the second time he's called her woman, the first time was at the wedding feast of Cana. He's not denigrating her. He's addressing her as the woman of Genesis. The woman who God put enmity between the woman and the serpent, the woman and the devil. The devil was never allowed to come near her because God said you can't, okay? Because God chose her to be his mother. So we have this Mary standing at the cross of her son and she stood there for three hours and she watches him die. She's not complaining against the Jews. She's not complaining against the Romans. She's not complaining against the crowds that are making fun of him and mocking him. She's silently praying for them all. And maybe those were the prayers that brought the good thief to recognize Jesus. Because at one point, the good thief finally stops mocking Jesus and he tells the other thief, don't you have any fear of God seeing that you're under the same sentence? This man has done no wrong. We're only paying the price for our crimes. And then he asked Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So we are talking about the sign of contradiction and the seven sorrows of our neighbor. Don't go away. We'll be back on Virgin Most Powerful Radio with more on Bible with Barbers. And please share this with your family, your friends, everyone you know. We'll be right back. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And remember to check out our other shows also. We have uh, Jesus 911, and we have the Terry and Jesse show, and we have uh, uh, Practical Apologetics, and we have the Bishop Strickland Hour, and we have the... um, uh, Matthew Arnold's show, and I can't remember the name of it. And then we have Night Moves. And um, if I'm forgetting somebody, I'm sorry. <laughs> My brain is kind of befuddled today. That's all right. Um, so um, here we are. And I want to thank all of our benefactors, all the radio stations that pick us up. I hope all of those of you who listen will please pass on the app, share the app with others. Please especially keep us in prayer. Thank you for all of those um, who volunteer to help us. I want to thank our staff here at the office and, and the volunteers here locally who help out with the different things that we do here at, this, at the, um, our center. And please, please keep us in prayer. Offer your sacrifices for us. Thank you, those who've offered your sufferings and your sacrifices for us. You know, we have a lot of people who've offered their sufferings for us. Um, we had a, um, you know, Terry's mom and dad, mom had decided to take care of his dad when he, his dad had dementia and he was... Um, a shrinkage of the brain, and he was um, had shunts put in to drain the fluid as the brain shrunk, and so um, the uh, the suffering that went there. His mom took care of his dad at home, and it was 
for many, many years. She took care of him at home. And that was out of that suffering that was born, this whole apostolate. It, it came out of that suffering. And then throughout the years, many people offered their sufferings. Terry had a friend, uh, John Bokren, who uh, he met because Terry was selling Bishop Sheen's Life is Worth Living. And uh, John Bokren was a seminary at uh, St. John Seminary in Camarillo. And then he got somebody to put a flyer for Bishop Sheen's Life is Worth Living on his car. So he came down, he met Terry in West Covina, and then he ended up transferring to um, St. Joseph's Seminary in Dunwoody, New York. And he was ordained for the Diocese of Bridgeport, Connecticut. And Father Bokren died within two years of his ordination of cancer. And he offered the last three months of his life voluntarily. This was Father Bokren called Terry and told him, I'm going to offer the rest of my life, whatever suffering I have now, I'm going to offer for your apostolate. And there have been others throughout the years who've offered their sufferings. And and this has been tremendous. So thank you for all of those of you who pray for us, who suffer. Thank you for offering all your offerings to Jesus. And it's not about us. It's about what does Jesus want you to do with your suffering? And basically, the, the angel at Fatima told the children, make of everything you do a sacrifice, saying, Jesus, it is for love of you, for the conversion of sinners, and in reparation for the sins committed against the Immaculate Heart of Mary. You can say in reparation also for the outrages, sacrileges, and indifferences, Jesus, by which you are offended in the Blessed Sacrament. That was revealed at Fatima too. So here we are, the seven sorrows of Our Lady, the prophecy of Simeon, the flight into Egypt, the loss of Jesus in the temple, the three um, sorrows in the infancy, as it were, of Jesus. And then you have the carrying of the cross, the crucifixion. Jesus is taken down from the cross, and Jesus is laid in the tomb. So after Jesus dies, they take him down from the cross. His mother's there. Whose arms are they going to put him in? We have that beautiful pieta that Michelangelo did showing Our Lady holding her the body of her son. And this must have been a great sorrow. As a matter of fact, there's a beautiful prayer that um, was in one version of the Station of the Cross. All you who pass by the way, look and see if there's any sorrow like my sorrow. Call me not Naomi, which is beautiful, but call me Mara, which is bitter, because the Almighty has dealt quite bitterly with me. And that, that, that quote, call me not Naomi, which is beautiful, but call me Mara, which is bitter, because the Almighty has dealt quite bitterly with me, is from Ruth one twenty, where Ruth returns to Bethlehem, and, and I'll be, oh, it's Naomi, it's Naomi. And she's like, don't call me Naomi. Naomi means beautiful. <laughs> I'm not beautiful. You know, I went, I, I went to Moab and I was full. I had two sons. I had my husband and I come back to Bethlehem and I'm empty. My sons are both dead and my husband's dead and, and God didn't even give me any grandchildren. I came back with my daughter-in-law though, Ruth, Ruth come with her. So, but this, this, and how our lady must have felt. And yes, she was, she really was a mother. She had a mother's heart and she really was human. She was without sin and, and all of her feelings, she, she channeled and directed in such a way that she never sinned. She never chose sin because of the way she felt. Oftentimes we choose sin because of the way we feel, you know, we're sad. And so we go and feel sorry for ourselves and do something stupid, like eat too much ice cream or, um, gluttony, you know, or, or drink too much or get drunk or, you know, unfortunately we try to escape from the pain or, um, you know, we're angry. So we go out and destroy something. Uh, you know, no, no, we don't have to give into the sin. Okay. But we can acknowledge the emotion. It, the emotions aren't bad. So Mary shows us. She shows us in all of this. She is with the Lord. She suffers with the Lord from the beginning. You know, her suffering didn't start at the crucifixion. It, it, it started 
And we saw that. Here he is the prophecy of Simeon. Jesus is only 40 days old. <laughs> and, then, and then you have the flight into Egypt. And, it, and, that, and there's, there's this constant, the shadow of the cross is always there. That doesn't take away our joy if we turn to the Lord. All right, remember what Paul said, that the sorrow becomes joy, right? He said, I fill up in my own flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. And I joyfully endure the, sor- the sufferings that I endure. I joyfully endure them for your sake, for your sake. So all of our sufferings can be offered up in such wise as to bring glory to God. Now that doesn't add to his glory, but we glorify God by our lives. We're supposed, we're called to be a praise of his glory. That's what Paul says in one of his letters. We're called to be a praise of his glory, to praise the glory of him, right? So, and this is what Elizabeth of the Trinity, that was her, she wanted to be a praise of the glory of God. And she was, she had a tremendous devotion to the entire Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is not a solitude unto himself. It's not just me and Jesus. It's not just me and the Father. It's not just me and the Holy Spirit. God is God. There's only one God. But in God, there are three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is a community of love and life. He's a trinity of persons. And the human family is supposed to reflect this. So all of our sufferings can be offered up in union with Jesus to help redeem the world, as Paul teaches us in his letters. And as others have learned, as other Christians have learned, through their sufferings, suffering is not a cause of sadness necessarily, you know, pain is not necessarily unhappiness unless we feel sorry for ourselves. And not, I'm not belittling pain. And for some people who are in pain, they're in pain. It's, it's a lot of pain. I mean, the, the cross was the cross. I remember there was a young woman who used to say to me, don't tell me to smile. Jesus wasn't smiling on the cross. And he wasn't smiling. <laughs> he was suffering. He was suffering tremendously. But nonetheless, never with despair, always with the hope, always knowing that good was coming from this. And the, the same is true for us. Our Blessed Mother, and what, what does she teach us by this? What does she teach us? This sign of contradiction. What is that Jesus and Mary teach us that our sufferings can be offered in union with Jesus to help redeem the world. Because Jesus Christ is God. Everything he does has infinite value on it. And he gives himself to us freely in baptism, in the sacraments, And so since he's given himself to us, then everything that is his is ours. So we can draw on his bank account, his infinite merits. So our sufferings can have infinite value if we unite them to his. As Bishop Sheen used to say, you know, I could write you a check and if I put my name on it, it's not worth much. But if I ask someone like Donald J. Trump to write you a check, he could write you a check for a million dollars and it would be worth something. <laughs> it's the same. If, if I offer my sufferings and I just, you know, it's just me, I'm just offering myself and I'm not, don't unite that to Jesus. Well, it, it's not. That's just, that's just a finite value. There's just finite there. It's just human. But if I unite it to Jesus, who, who is um, the son of God, it becomes infinite. It becomes infinite. So I hope today you've learned something and I hope you will practice the devotion to the seven sorrows of Our Lady because to bring you closer to Christ, to be able to walk with Mary and Jesus in the sufferings that he endured in his life. And before I end the show today, I want to deal with one other thing. Someone asked me a question 
and this wasn't on an app. It was, it was in, I was somewhere, I met somebody and they were asking me about the word ecclesia. What does that word mean in the scriptures? Okay. In the new Testament, the word ecclesia occurs many, many times. And, um, if you look, if you can, you can look up the Greek, you can go on and look up interlinear Greek. Okay. If you look up the Greek for ecclesia, church, look up the, the Greek word for church, um, you know, on this rock, I will build my church. Just look up Matthew on this rock. I will build my church. And then you see the Greek word ecclesia church. And what does it mean? What does that Greek word mean? Well, in, in most of the translations, it's translated church almost every single time. Occasionally it's translated congregation, but what do we have here? According to the Greek, you know, um, what do you call it? The Greek scholars, the Christian sense of the word ecclesia is as an assembly of Christians gathered for worship. Where does the word ecclesia come from? Well, ek, ek, or we would say ek in English. I, I'm not going to try and say the Greek letters. I don't remember them that well. But out from and to, ek, and then it's a combination word. Ek, out from and to, kaleo, to call. Okay, so for the Christian, you are called out from the world to God and the outcome being the church. So we're called out from the world to God. Ecclesia, we're called out from the world to God. The English word church actually comes from the Greek word kyrios. I found this interesting. The Greek word kyrios, of course, means Lord. Kyrio, kyrie, we get the word Lord from it. Well, kyrios means belonging to the Lord. So the church belongs to the Lord. So the word church, yeah, the word church is, it's legitimate to, to translate ecclesia church. It means church. It's the church that Christ founded. Jesus Christ said on this rock, I will found my church. He only said he would found one church. So that was just a brief um, lesson in Greek on the word ecclesia. <laughs> so um, I hope that the person who asked me that question listens to Bible with the Barbers and I'll try and contact her um, apart from the show to let her know that I, I did look it up and this is what I found. But again, to recap today's show, we talked about the sign of contradiction, the cross, that which is sitting over my shoulder here. Um, and I'm confused. It's on my right shoulder. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> anyway, are we going to embrace the sign of contradiction? Or are we going to reject it? Our salvation depends on our answer. And it's not God who condemns us to hell. It's our rejection of his plan for us. Just as Satan was condemned by his rejection of God's plan. So let us follow Christ and let us ask the Blessed Mother Mary, Mother of Sorrows, to help us to be steadfast in our following of Christ. Thank you again to all of our listeners, our supporters. Please pray to the angels that we get this whole financial thing straightened out. Please, God, send your angels to help. And, and uh, please share this with everyone. This is how this word gets spread. If you share this with other people that you know. Um, join us again. Don't forget our other shows. You can listen to podcasts. And if people haven't heard my show before, introduce them to it and have them listen to some of the podcasts. Um, thank you for joining us. And God willing, we'll be back again next week with another exciting adventure through the scriptures on Bible with the Bible.